Hi, I'm Craig Turner, host of the Founders for Good podcast. I've spent years working in the tech for good space, and in that time I've had the privilege of interviewing inspiring impact founders, and I want to share those conversations with you. Why? Because these are the people leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues, from climate to homelessness to health to education and much more. In these conversations, I dig into why these issues exist, possible solutions, how the founder and their business is approaching the problem, and their best kept secrets on how to build a for good company. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Jim Lovett is the CEO of Avatech. Avatech focuses on tackling the problem of black bag waste. This is the waste created by businesses that cannot be recycled and is difficult to process as it typically contains a mix of organic and inorganic material that is impossible to separate out. The impact this has on the planet is shocking. In the UK last year, 11 million tonnes of black bag waste ended up in landfill and 17 million tonnes ended up being burnt, which significantly contributes to greenhouse gases. Today, Jim shares his knowledge about the UK waste management system and its inherent problems, the impact of black bag waste on the environment, Advertech's revolutionary way of processing on-site waste, and the lessons he's learned as an entrepreneur. Hey Jim, great to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm looking forward to chatting to you uh, today about, obviously, your company, Advertech, um, which helps businesses reduce the unrecyclable waste uh, and the impact it has on the environment. Um, Just to understand a bit more about the space, I guess. I can't say I know loads about waste management, especially from like a business angle. Can you talk me through like what what kind of waste do businesses create? Um, Because I assume in the UK, we're pretty good in general when it comes to like separating out out, like general plastic, paper, etc. Right, so um, superbly well, uh, you've you've hit the nail on the head in terms of people's lack of understanding of the waste industry in the UK. Actually, <laughs> um, so so uh, what we do is we deal with what you and you would traditionally see as black bag waste. So um, what 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 we term um, municipal re- uh, uh, sort of solid waste. So this is typically black bag stuff, um, which is actually the most difficult element of the waste chain to recycle so people incorrectly assume that because volumes of waste re- or, or, or rather volumes of recycling in the uk are improving that we're really good at things but we're not so the the, the two biggest ways that um, waste is dealt with in the uk still are um, burning it or burying it essentially uh, and we are getting better on an annual basis. And I, if you look at us against the rest of Europe and, and against the rest of the world, our, our, uh, our, our recycling rates are massively improving, but there is still a heck of a lot of waste created that doesn't get dealt with. And, and, and the mis, misconception of, of people is that, um, well, I've, I've, I've separated it into my bins, so it's recycled. And that's not necessarily the case with black bag waste. Yes, it is with plastics. Yes, it is with cardboards and uh, and other materials. But but black bag waste traditionally contains organic and inorganic product, which is incredibly difficult to separate. So in reality, what then happens is that just gets either put in the ground or burned. Well, you covered off quite a few things there because I was going to ask like where what goes like what happens next, um, which you which you answered. Um, with the recycling aspect, like is that pretty clear? So, like if you put stuff into plastics, paper, that's actually dealt with quite well. Or like, do are there still issues with like the the solid like food waste contaminating that stuff as well? Okay, so um, 
the recycling process gets split into lots of different parts. So yes, uh, things like plastic separation, as as a as an industry, it's got a lot better at separating out plastics. So um, and and then those plastics usually get bulked and and um, you know recycled in in some form either either they go into back into the plastic uh, process or they get they get broken down into other products or they get used into you know things like tires and stuff like that all end up in benches and you know, all of that all of that so so that bit of it is is quite straightforward glass products quite straightforward cardboards paper you know the traditional stuff that people know is is really well managed but as I say, black bag waste is something that is is not really dealt with properly, and uh, that's kind of where our technology comes in. Because what our technology does is it takes that black bag waste and it converts it into a, effectively into a, a coal replacement product, so it can be used as a fuel in other industries. So. By by using our solution, which I can talk about in a, in a wee while, um, what we do is we actually take something that will otherwise be, be end up in landfill and convert that into a product that that genuinely forms part of that circular economy. Um, and and most people assume that that's already happening, and it isn't. That's that's the one piece of the jigsaw, if you like, that is massively. Um, massively under under attacked. So to give you an example, I think last year there was something like 11 million tonnes of uh, black bag waste that that ended up in in landfill and 17 million tonnes that ended up being burnt. So it's still a massive, massive industry, you know, and a massive problem. And if you take somewhere like the US, 54% of the the waste in the US is still still ends up in landfill or or incineration. So there there are huge challenges around this that people just don't necessarily appreciate and it's a it's a it's a it's a human behavior thing really we're not great at we, we just assume that because we've we've put it in you know we've split out as many things as we can that'll get dealt with a great example is um if somebody uh has a packet with a, a food packet so you get you get a pack of sandwiches or something like that if it goes into the black bag with the sandwich packaging and uh, a bit of the sandwich left, that's incredibly difficult to separate. That's where the challenge comes. So that, you know, ordinarily will just go straight in the ground. And uh, so it's a, bit, yeah. a couple of questions, I guess. Um, first of all, just to be crystal clear, like the, the bigger knock-on impacts of um, it either being buried or burnt, can you just explain like the impact that has on the environment and the planet? Like huge. I mean, um, if organic matter goes into the ground, two things uh, really. One, one, um, once that gets capped, it, uh, it, it it's dealt with that anaerobically. So um, in landfill, you create methane, and what happens there is the 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 organic products break down, biologically break down, but with anaerobic bacteria. So uh, they generate methane and hydrogen sulfide and various other things as, as a byproduct of that. And methane levels obviously are huge, huge com, uh, contribution towards um, greenhouse gases. It's the biggest single problem that we, we face. So if you can treat that organic element before it goes into the ground and stabilize it so that it is, it, you know, as a, as a, as a, a, 
a, a product, it becomes inert. Then one of the things you can do straight away is um, reduce the levels of, of methane that get produced. So once it's capped, um, it's just going to sit there and, and, and not degrade any further. So that's that's one of the big problems. And obviously, just the sheer volume of, of um, waste that goes into the ground is a, is a big issue for us as a nation. And landfills are, are filling up, gate fees are rising, transport costs in, increase. So all of these things are, are additional factors that start to really influence uh, the, the production of, of CO2, the production of methane, greenhouse gases, and the whole impact in terms of the planet getting hotter. Got it. And then I guess to focus on the UK waste system and, and the way it currently works is it's publicly funded, right? This isn't like businesses are paying for private contractors to deal with the waste. This this is the government and the solution they provide. It, is that is that a cost thing that we've got to this point? Like it's just a cheap solution to bury it or burn it? Or is it like lack of education? What what, what are the main problems? Like how, how does it kind of work and the problems? Okay. So um, this is a combination of uh, government-related activity and also private-related activity. So we, we deal primarily with what they call the, in, the, the, iron, um, the industrial and commercial, the INC waste element. So we tend to deal direct with businesses where they will have a contract with some of the big waste providers to, to take that waste away. So shopping centers, um, theme parks, that kind of stuff but also um, waste handlers, waste aggregators. So, so for, from their point of view, there is a cost aspect, no doubt. Um, the waste industry is quite traditional. It doesn't like to change and it doesn't like to spend money. They're the two, the, the, the two drivers, if you like, that, that, that create the problem. So um, your, first, your first question is, it, is it money driven? Yes, quite often it is. Um, it's a cheap way of, of resolving things. Um, and I, I mentioned America. I know we're going to talk about the UK, but I mentioned America earlier because um, obviously there's a lot more land in America, so it's far cheaper to put it in the ground. Um, so that that's why one of the reasons that the the rates are aren't decreasing in 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 the in the US in the quite the same way. And the other thing is that it's a very traditional industry, so this is the way we've done this for years, and it's slow to adapt and it's slow to change as a result. So for us, one of the big challenges that we've had is getting those early adopters. So people who are um, able and interested and, and willing to adopt new technologies to try and drive out different solutions, which have financial benefit for them, but actually they're a headache to set up in the first place. So one of the, one of the things that we've been working on um, over, the, over the last few years is how can we better support the industry to enable them to make these changes so that we reduce the barriers for them implementing this kind of technology because it's a it's a very very simple process uh, and it doesn't it doesn't cause masses of disruption to their existing frameworks but um, it does require a change and therefore <clears throat> the more we can help the the customer and the waste handler understand those changes and, and walk them through it the better so, for example, we've done things like um, our, our system. Uh, once we once we uh, agree a, a contract with a customer, we we look at the permitting aspects. We walk them through the permitting. We support them through that that uh, the environmental aspect of the permitting process. We make sure that our the way we the way we design the front end and back end of our system fits around their existing service and, and, and solution. 
so that from a customer perspective, we're fitting into their working model rather than than necessarily them fitting into ours. We provide training and, and support on the ground. Uh, we've we've done lots of different things around the way we we structure the costing model so that it's uh, a lease agreement rather than a purchase agreement, and we provide ongoing maintenance. So we've tried to minimise all of the challenges around getting a customer on board, um, but still it's been a it's been a hard slog just to convince the industry that it needs to change. And 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 we're almost I like to think we're at a tipping point now. We're not quite there, but we're not far away from having a number of those early adopters. And once you've got a sufficient number of early adopters in, in situ, you've got a load of, of potential customers sitting there who are happy to be uh, first to be second is how we've termed it. You know, They're very, very keen to, to uh, not be the first to adopt these technologies, but definitely the second. So that wave then, then starts. And so, you know, the more the more of the flagship sites that we can get on board, the more of these early adopters that we can get on board, the better the level of data that we can provide them, which further evidences the benefits that can be had in terms of the solution. And the more we'll, the whole thing will just spiral from there, really. Yeah, and I, I think that's always the challenge of trying to break down like a very traditional industry. And, and you mentioned like one of the key things there is just removing the barriers to adoption and making it as easy as possible. What, what other push or pull like pressures are you seeing at the moment to get businesses or, or like the waste management providers to like change their habits? Like, is, is is there regulations and legislation changes coming in? Is it like ESG yeah. consumers expecting more? I mean, yeah, it's it's all of those things, really. So if you if you look at government level, um, there's there's a raft of legislation change that's that's been implemented or or is being implemented over the over the next few years. There's a big drive towards net zero. There's a big drive to reducing carbon um, carbon utilization. There's a there's a big push around carbon credits. And at the on the flip side of that, there's if you like, there the carrots, uh, the sticks are we're going to increase gate fees on on landfill, we're going to increase taxation rates on on transportation and, and, and waste production. So all of those things are going to push customers towards saying financially, guys, you know there are a a lot of benefits to be had from from changing your your methodology and your process, and b um, there's a lo- there's a load of challenges we're going to give you if you don't if you don't do that. So legislatively. There's a load of there's a load of drive there. I think um, in terms of in in terms of morally, there is also now a much much greater um, amount of interest in doing things differently. I think businesses possibly even as recently as sort of three or four years ago, there was a lot of what they term greenwashing going on. A lot of people just. Um, you know, sort of paying lip service to doing things differently, but more and more companies are, are putting them in as KPIs, really. And so boards are being driven to demonstrate their environmental credentials more. And as a result of that, I think you know technologies like ours um, can can enable that for them. So yes, it's 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 all of those things. And if you like, we're almost in the perfect storm that. You, if if you stand back, and this is why I think it's a fascinating industry, but if you stand back from it and you say, okay, volumes of waste are still increasing, albeit that they've slowed and 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 actually levels of recycling are organisations are getting better, costs are going up, um, penalties are going up, 
and and there's this this groundswell of public opinion around changing behaviors so you've got all of these things happening all at the same time and as a consequence of that businesses are going do you know what we really need to change and we really need to do things differently so it is starting to have an effect um we could do with it going faster we could do with um uh, certain blockages that that prevent us as an organization getting those systems in place and a good example of that would be you know, certain of the challenges that, that that there are around the environmental permitting so permitting is notoriously um convoluted in this country and in getting getting permits agreed is 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 a challenge um you know the environment agency is it's it's well known and well documented that they're they're hugely overworked and you know, they've not got the resources that they need. And you've got examples of people literally uh, waiting 20 months to get a permit reviewed. You know, and, and so you're sitting there with a – and we've had this exact situation where we've, we've agreed a contract with a customer. We've gone through the formal permitting process. We can't actually put that machine on site. We can't go and, and operate that machine until we've gone through the permitting process. And that's taking – you know, over a year just to start the debate with with the EA and, get, and getting that permit in place. And if a customer is trying to do that on their own, and we're pretty we're pretty you know well versed in dealing with the EA, and we've got some some incredibly bright people working with us who who are used to dealing with them uh, and 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 speak that language. Uh, so if you're an organisation that's trying to do something different and you haven't got that experience, it must be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> I think anything that, that needs to get approval for and go down the permitting route, that's generally what I hear from people. Um, but yeah, I think the good thing I've taken from that is that change is happening at all levels, there's pressure at all levels, which I think is what needs to happen to create like long lasting change, even though we'd all like it to be, be much faster. Um, Jim, to chat about yeah. Advertech now specifically, um, I know you gave yeah. a brief kind of overview earlier. Um, so just to recap, obviously you focus on the, uh, the black bag waste um you're building a, yeah. a a product a machine that will sit on site with a customer and be fully integrated into their current processes and make it as easy as possible for them to to process their waste on site can you give a bit more information about like the actual like process itself like how do you convert something what is it yeah 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 what is it so okay i it's it's a it's a process that takes and and, and the industry loves acronyms right so i'll give you i'll give you some great little acronyms yeah. here um, MSW, yeah. So it's a process that takes uh, MSW, uh, municipal solid waste, and converts it into SRF, which is a solid recover fuel. Um, so what does that mean in in, in English? Uh, it's it's uh, it's a process that takes black bag waste and converts it into a coal alternative fuel that can be used for something different. Okay. And um, it's an aerobic process. So the company, uh, Advertech. Uh, was founded in a, in about uh, in about two yeah the, the in, in about two thousand and uh, and we we were primarily an agricultural um, supplier of, of biological solutions for for agriculture so it was a it was a uh, you know we do uh, slurry treatments for septic uh, pits and things like that and fats solids greases that kind of stuff so biological solutions in in that in that agricultural world. And, and we quite literally stumbled over um, a, a bacterial blend uh, that operates in an aerobic environment 
that uh, can make a significant difference to uh, mixed residual waste. So um, we spent the last, whatever it is, 20 odd years um, moving from that agricultural base to being a, a, a truly biotechnology business with some complex bacteria and some complex enzymes, but some very straightforward and simple engineering work, albeit actually a lot of the cost and the, uh, is, has been in developing that engineering work to get the, it, to get it sufficiently robust to deal with the waste in the way that it, that it needs to. Um, because bacteria are dead simple. And they behave in a certain kind of way, and they'll they'll do they'll do their job regardless. It's the environment you put them in that's the, that's the challenge. So a lot of the the work that we've been doing is around um, making sure that engineering aspect is robust enough to allow the the air throat airflow through the material to give it sufficient churn to open the the back to the uh, the black bags up in a way that allows the um the material to circulate and move so that the bacteria can work and to provide them with the right kind of enzymes and environment for for them to maximize their performance so the the, the simplest way of 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 looking at it is it's um if you think about a composting process so this is a an in vessel uh composting process but it it it, it does a number of things it um stabilizes the waste it reduces the mass and the volume typically by about 50%. So if you put 10 tons of material into a machine, typically you get five tons of material out of that machine. So right straight away, if all you're doing is, um, you know, burying that, you've done, you've done a number of things. Firstly, you've, you've reduced the amount that you're going to have to transport. You've reduced the amount you're going to have to put in the ground. And you've stabilized that product, like I said before, because you've removed the the organic aspect of, of that product. It's just going to sit there inertly in the, in the ground and not generate any methane. So immediately, you've also done a number of good things around the, the environment and creating the, car, the right kind of carbon solution for that. Um, you're not producing CO2. You're not producing hydrogen sulfide. The only things you, you produce are water vapor and a bit of carbon dioxide from respiration of the bacteria. So it's a really uh, neat way of dealing with that. But the, the challenge for us was, was actually making that commercially viable. Uh, and it was when we discovered uh, and we started to do some analysis on the output, which we call flock, which comes out the back end of the machine. Um, and because it's been shredded down um, as part of the initial process to break open the material to allow the bacteria to work. Um, we discovered that this uh, material actually meets the European standards on um, on, a, on an alternative uh, fuel product, SRF. So now we've gone from having something that was a, a cost to an organization for something for them to dispose of to potentially uh, a commodity that they can, they can utilize. And so we've been working with a number of um, organizations in uh, the cement industry, in um, Industrial furnace industry, high temperature, high you know, high fuel requiring industries, to to work and, and working with them to create a network of uh, of off tape solutions. So that as, again goes back to this notion of reducing the barriers for our customers. So we can go to a customer and say, right, you put this machine on site. What it will do is it will it will reduce your mass, it will reduce your volume, it'll improve your environmental credentials, and at the same time, from a cost perspective. 
you've taken something that was costing you money to get rid of and dispose of through gate fees to something that actually in, in the UK is still costing you money, but costing you a lot less than it was. So, uh, because these, these guys want it as a, as a, as a, as a fuel source. Yeah. So, and, and, and that helps, as I say, it helps spin the whole, um, circular economy really, because in, we're creating a greener method for cement production as an example. Uh, and we're also creating a greener method of waste disposal as an example. And as a product, as a byproduct, Mr. Customer, you're saving money in there. So, so it's a neat little fit, really. Um, and and the, the 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 most interesting aspect is there aren't re- there isn't really anybody doing what we're doing with the in the way that we're doing it. So we've got some, as I say, some very clever bacteria, but they're not really. They're just you know they're just bacteria yeah. that live in a certain you know they've not got PhDs there. They're just um, they're just normal bacteria. But because of the way we're dealing with it, technically, um, those those bacteria will will perform in a way that composts material that would typically take six to eight weeks in three days. And that's when people go, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Um, so the whole process takes seventy two hours from putting a bag in one end to creating fuel at the other. So it's a really neat solution for customers, and and be, and and the way we uh, the way we build our and construct our machines is we've got different size models, so we can put r- relatively small. I mean, these aren't household size. You know, they 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 operate on on big tonnages, but we can do small, medium, and large machines. So we can put one on waste handlers, for example, doing ten tons a day and you could put multiple units on the waste handler or you might have a small one just doing one and a half two tons a day on a on a shopping center in a shopping center so on a food court on a shopping center which is a is a classic example of where um you know that, that anywhere anywhere where there's a high volume of leisure related activities because as i said before it, human behavior is we're not great at recycling particularly when we're out yeah. And we're having a good time. The last thing people want to do. And you think about if you go to a football match or any kind of sports event, there's an awful lot of stuff that just goes straight in the bin. You know, the the, the, the coffee cup, the the sandwich, the bag of crisps, the whatever it is, all goes in the same bin. The same on air on the air in the airline industry, although they're getting they're getting a wee bit better. And the same when people go to a food court in a in a shopping centre. It all ends up in the one bin. Um, you might get cans going in uh, in a metal in a metal recycling bin. You might get plastic bottles going in another one, but the bulk of it all ends up in the same place. And and so we th- we see that as a big opportunity for us because that's a massive volume of waste that those guys have then got to deal with and get rid of. And we're providing an on-site solution to reduce that, and then a yeah, yeah, yeah. a solution that gives them a future at the end of it. It's quite neat. Yeah. Oh, it's really clever. And uh, everything you said makes a lot of sense. A little break from the show. If you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, the good news is you can. Go and visit www.jobsforgood.io, where they only have four good companies on their platform, ranging from social justice to food waste to climate change and much more. You can filter jobs by impact area, preferred way of working, skill sets, and find the perfect company and position for you. So if you do one thing today, check out www.jobsforgood.io. 
Now back to the podcast. And, and earlier, you, you you mentioned you kind of stumbled on this bacteria and this this solution, and, it, and it's unique in terms of what your company's doing within the marketplace. Is it like IP protected? So like you're the only ones that can possibly do this at the moment, or is it something that others are going to start doing as well? Do you think? Um, so I think I think I mean we've we've invested heavily in in the technology. Um, the way we describe it is anybody can build the engineering solution. The secret source is is the bacterial blend and the mix and the and the products that are in there um and that's the bit that that most people would would struggle um to 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 replicate if you like and there are there are different technologies out there so there are lots of people doing similar kind of things but not the same so uh, and lots of people are aware of, of anaerobic digestion. So that gets talked about quite a lot where food and, and organic material goes into an anaerobic environment. Again, it's treated with bacteria and it creates methane uh, and the methane ends up going back into the grid as, as part of that solution. But the minute you get contamination in that organic material, so for example, if, if it goes in there with a load of plastics, it gets rejected from those AD facilities and ends up in landfill. So people's assumptions are, well, I've, I've separated all of my organic material, so that's getting dealt with and, and I'm being really good. But actually, there's, there's all sorts of challenges around that, not least of which things like the biodegradable cups that a lot of the waste processing systems can't recognize. They just see them as cups, so they'll instantly reject them. Um, and so there's a there's a you know there's another set of challenges around that. So so the, the something like an anaerobic environment, lots of people are familiar with. They, they've started to see that composting is another is another system and windrow composting and open tunnel composting and things like that. Again, people understand that burial and burning they understand as well. Plastics they understand. Metals they understand. Mixed bag waste is is. It's a mixed bag, and we <laughs> genuinely create truckloads of the stuff in the UK. You know that is the challenge, and that is the hardest piece of the waste of the, of the waste hierarchy to resolve. And um, yeah, and I was saying, in terms of how far you are into that journey so far, like, can you give some insight into Avatech and like where you are today in terms of like which markets you're playing in, customers, revenue, however you might want to measure it. Yeah, so we're we're uh, I I term it as as um, you know we're still in startup mode. It feels like we're the longest startup in history in, in a lot of respects. Um, but uh, yeah, we 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 we've started getting. So we have one of every type of machine in operation. We've got um, operations in the UK now, um, and we're the only one that we're we're not operating in the UK now is is the biggest unit, and we're waiting on two permits for those uh, for for two separate sites, big waste handler sites, to to put those in in the UK. Um, we have a number of sites now. Interestingly, in America, America seems far more. Um, there's, there's less barriers, shall we say, to the environmental permitting process, actually, okay. and they're, they're, albeit on a state by state basis. But we've got we've got uh, we've got sites over in in um, in Washington State. We've got sites down in Florida. We've got sites in Texas. You know, so we're we're starting to break into that into that U.S. market as well, and increasingly working with um, a number of. Cement manufacturing companies in the US as well, 
which again, I think I see as really, really exciting. We're doing a number of trials in the, in, in the UK with some of the big waste handlers that you would know, um, and also with some of the water companies. And we're, um, we're still expanding in, in the shopping center market um, and, and the theme park market. And weirdly, you know, things like cruise line ships and, and, and that kind of industry as well is also very appealing because there's a huge volume of waste production on cruise lines. So there are a number of different markets for us. Our main focus in the UK is on the waste handler market. So these aren't necessarily the big multinational organizations. It's a step below that. These are the what we would call the, the second tier organizations where they can't necessarily leverage the same uh, deals on fees that the, the big boys could leverage. But um, we can we can provide them that network and that that connection into uh, an SRF solution. So so for us, that that's what we see as the UK's growing market. In the US, weirdly, we see uh, the main focus being around um, theme parks, universities, and shopping centers um, and cruise lines, primarily because everything's bigger in America. So the volumes are much bigger. So the, the, the leverage and the opportunity is therefore much bigger. But again, America's uh, very different because on a state-by-state basis, the, the legislative process is driven by individual states. So that, that's, that's quite different. Um, so yeah, so um, revenue-wise, uh, we're, uh, we're positive in America. We're, we're cash generative, cash positive. Uh, we're, we're making some good money in America. In the UK, we're still not quite there. Uh, but we have some some very supportive shareholders um, who who recognise the value of our technology and the and the opportunity uh, in the long term. So I would I would hope that within within the next year we'll hit that tipping point where we get sufficient volumes in the UK. And and my worry really is once we once we get through the other side of that, and I've got literally five six more units in the UK, then. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to struggle to to meet demand. That's going to be my big challenge. <laughs> Good problem to have, though. Yeah, yeah, genuinely. Because as I said to you earlier, we've got a load of people who've said, "Look, really like the technology. We're just going to sit here till you've got a couple in the UK and you've gone through the permitting process, and we're not spending the money. You're doing it on your car. you know, all of those kind of things." When we're through that side of the barrier, I think we'll it'll be floodgates will quite literally open. I hope so. I hope so. Um, and yeah. and the revenue model, can you explain that? Like, is it a price per unit? Yeah. Is it a subscription kind of fee model? Uh, so, so ideally, um, the way the way we structured the model is um, it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a it's a monthly fee. So we've we've gone um, down a managed service uh, arrangement with with contracts, and and we've done that for a number of reasons. So these these units are big uh, pieces of engineering. And they cost a lot of money, and most organisations would rather run that as an opex cost than open. So what we've done is we've created a, a leasing uh, a leasing model um, where the customer takes a, a lease on a lease agreement over a period of time, and, and and we get the monthly payments on that, and and we we effectively make uh, make our money both through the leasing 
the interest payments on the on that leasing process, yeah. and also the the gap between uh, what what historically it was costing them for disposal and, and what we were able to create in terms of disposal costs on that. Because what we're and what we're also saying to customers is, look, we can fix that for a period of time. So we will fix that for five years, effectively. So um, you're not going to be subject to rising cost of landfill, rising cost of, of, of taxation around around those kind of those kind of yeah, aspects yeah. too. And then it gives us annuity of income. So uh, in terms of a cash model for for the business, it, it's it's a really good way of giving you long term annuity contract income. Um, so, so that the, and as, as I said earlier, that the, the premise behind that was, was multiple reasons really, but breaking down those barriers to getting customers on board and providing them that ongoing support. So I, I mentioned before, we do a lot of on-site training initially with the operatives who are going to be using the machine, um, and, and get people up to speed with how the machine works. We monitor that machine 24 hours a day anywhere in the world remotely, so we can see all of the um, you know all of the the parameters of the machine and making sure it's off. So most of the time, we know there's a problem before the customer knows there's a problem, and 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 that's been really helpful because we can make adjustments online, so we don't necessarily have to be there. And and, and we've made a number of changes to machines as we've put more systems into the field. And customers have come back to us and said, well, actually, we could do with a couple of examples. We could do with um, a red light and a green light that tells us when we can load and when we can't load. Or um, we have a waste handler at the moment who wants um, an in-cab um, startup system so that the, the operator doesn't even need to get out of his truck. In the US, he can literally press a button and start the machine and do his load from there. So simple things like that which have been helpful in terms of modifying the design which will be beneficial for customers going forward more training more support more online activity and also you get regular servicing as part of that contract so we'll we'll not operate the machine on a day-to-day basis but we'll come out and and service the machine on a regular basis all as part of your plan thing and then the final, the, the final bit of the icing on the cake, if you like, is, is will help you with the environmental permitting. So, yeah, again, we, we've thought long and hard about how do we reduce all of those barriers and make sure that customers get a really good, firstly, a really good experience of using the technology. Uh, and secondly, it's as, it's as seamless and straightforward for them as possible. I think that's the key to any good product is is making it as easy as possible to adopt and use, uh, and then you, and you make it sticky and you, you're on you're on to a winner. Um, from a funding yeah. perspective, it sounds like obviously there's been a lot of money that's gone into you know building the product, um, getting to market. The challenges with like permitting, for example, in the UK, uh, has it been self funded? Yeah. Have you had to raise investment along the way? Yeah, so uh, we we have raised investment. Uh, we've we've raised a, um, a significant amount of investment from our from our shareholder base. So at the moment we haven't gone to uh, to you know private equity or to uh, any strategic partners. But the long term plan will be that will you know that's part of the the long term business plan is is that's going to be ultimately the, the the stage of development that we we go through. Um, my I've got. A, background in private equity so i i understand that as a as an industry and 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 you know uh, when the time's right and we've got we've got we've ticked the boxes for that kind of approach you know 
um, then then we'll be there. But as I said earlier, we've got some incredibly supportive shareholders who um, who either work directly in the green space or or have a very very strong interest in the green space who've been incredibly supportive. And obviously, you know they they believe as we all believe in the in the model. You know one of the one of the real um, one of the real benefits of working. Yeah, and it's trite, and people say it all the time. You know, I think I can make a difference. We genuinely, yeah, yeah. genuinely believe we, we are making a difference. You know, we can. We just the analysis on the on the carbon reductions is is huge, and you know, it's only going to become more and more important for companies to to have that kind of solution. So, um, so I think our, there's a recognition that this isn't a short term. Um, you know, in and out for for our investors, it's a it's a it's a longer term process, but it's building something that's going to be incredibly important for the future. And in the future, I mean, that just jogged a thought in my head. Like, I speak to a lot of startups, SMEs, and um, a lot more focus is coming on like their ESG and, and like reporting on what they're doing as a business. Um, is yeah. is there going to be a reporting element to to your solution? Do you think at some point, yeah. or is it already there? So, so yeah, it's already there, and so so we. Um, the way the system works is uh, we measure the volume and the mass of waste going in and the volume and waste of mass of the machine and the volume of waste of mass coming out the other end. So we can very clearly um, say to customers, right, you've had a you know, 50%, 60%, whatever the number is, reduction in your waste, mass and volume. And um, we've got some people far cleverer than me in the organization who who focus on, on the carbon uh, the carbon credit side of, uh, of of that and what that means in terms of carbon impact. Um, so we've done a, done a lot of work in, in in terms of understanding that. So we can we can provide customers with fairly clear um, indications of how much. Well, very very clear data on on what their levels of reduction are. Firstly, and secondly, through interpretation, we can identify exactly what that means in terms of carbon positions. And so, as as the carbon credit schemes develop, and as the, as the carbon trading schemes develop, more and more companies will be able to access that as a result. So we're doing a lot of work on that at the moment, uh, and that's all fed into the model. So customers can go online with the portal and see in real time what's happening with the machine. We monitor temperatures. We monitor you know input rates, output rates, volumes. We monitor gas production. So that you know, there's there's a whole there's a whole sniffing system on there to to make sure that they, there's no odor, uh, there's no nox no, noxious gases being produced. We can give customers customers all of that data. Um, you know, the the one bit of of that equation that's always um, always variable is the is the is the material going in in the first place. You know, we can't control that because that's ultimately the waste created uh, in an environment. But things like green waste, you know, any uh, any grounds maintenance, green waste, that kind of stuff, that all go, goes in as well. So customers are increasingly going, oh, well, actually, that means I can lower my grounds maintenance contracts because I can just put the stuff straight in there. We we did some work um, uh, pre-lockdown with, with a zoo out in uh, the US that um, had a challenge with bamboo. So um, they wanted to, you know, put bamboo through our machine. So by changing the blend and increasing the cellulose um, activity, so you cellulases in in the material, so you reduce the amount of cellulose because it's quite a fibrous material. You can do very clever things to get biology to do lots of other things for you, uh, all within that environment. If you know what the waste stream is, 
Cool. That's pretty cool. Um, and and mm. you you mentioned briefly earlier <laughs> a bit about your background in PE, and uh, I was going to just yeah. talk to you a little bit about about your background actually, because like, you you've run a number of businesses yeah. prior to this. Have you always had that yeah. flair and, and wanting to be an entrepreneur? Like, where does that kind of drive come from? That's a really good question, and I, I do uh, no is the answer. I've 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 never I, I I think I stumbled into this in, into a, into a career as a as an entrepreneur because um, I think uh, I think corporate. So my my background was um, I was I was with one of the big management consultancy firms for for a, a long time. I trained as a biochemist um, originally. I did a degree in biochemistry and biotechnology, and then ended up in management consultancy and did um, some finance degrees and stuff so um but but i ended up working in um for for a couple of really big multinational organizations and i think me and big corporate multinational organizations just ultimately didn't get on um they they the the interesting thing about working in small businesses that that fascinates me is uh pace and speed and doing things quickly and I think when you end up in a big corporate organization, you spend most of your time looking upwards and managing the internal aspects of a company rather than focusing on your customers and looking outwardly. And, 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 you know, I've, I've been fortunate. I've been quite successful with, with a, a couple of the, my previous businesses and, and they've grown, you know, significantly. And we, we, um, through private equity, we, we had some private equity backing on those. So we did, we did quite well and, and grew those, um, to big organizations and they get to a certain size and scale and then it's time to either sell them or move on because I start to lose interest because it's actually a big organization again and all of those internal yeah, yeah, things yeah. are starting to happen. So so for me, um I didn't I didn't deliberately set out to be an entrepreneur. I think um I think I've ended up in 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 that space because um I don't necessarily fit in other spaces. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So I didn't, I didn't go looking for it. It kind of found me. That's probably the right way of saying it. Yeah. I think that's the best way sometimes though. I think sometimes you force it or you're trying to go after something, it is, it, it, it can be for the wrong reasons or it doesn't quite work out. Um, as yeah. a, as an experienced founder and CEO, um, I'm sure you, you would agree that like you're always learning, always evolving, always adapting to the needs of the business, to the needs of your role. Um, I just wondered like what, what skill are you working on at the moment? Like what are you trying to improve on right now? Well, there's lots of things really, but I think as an entrepreneur, it, one of the things to do is get your message over it in a way that, that firstly demonstrates your commitment and your passion and your interest in a, in a business. And, and secondly, that you take people on that journey with you. And I, I, I'm trying to make sure that I bring people with me. The way, yeah, yeah, yeah. the way I do, I, I would describe that is, um, I, I use an old war analogy in that you don't want to be, I, I, I like to be first out of the trenches, but what I don't want to do is run into the middle of no man's land and find that nobody's come with me. Yeah. So it's about making sure that everybody gets out of the trench at the same time and we all go in the same direction. And and that that, that is actually quite a skill um, in doing that. And I think you know that's something I'm always trying to improve on. Um, I'm not the... I'm I'm not a great stroker of of people, um, and I kind of uh, I'm trying to get better at that um, because I I I kind of believe that everybody should have the same level of passion and interest in something as I do. 
<laughs> and actually that's not necessarily the case. You know, you sometimes need to say, right, okay, cool. These are, this is why we're doing this. This is why we're driving like this. Um, so that's, that's certainly one of the things I'm, I'm trying, uh, to focus on at the moment. And the other thing really is, and this is, this is a challenge of small organizations in a challenging, difficult market is keeping that level of enthusiasm and drive, you know, um, so every day you've you've got to bounce into work, um, and 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 that's that's a really hard thing to do when you're constantly getting challenged on on things. You've got to believe in what you're doing. You've got to have that tenacity to keep driving and keep going, and you've got to have that ability to communicate with people and, and take people on that journey. And I think all those things I have in some degree but I can always be better at all of them. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good answer. And I, I think that's a really key point about just what makes a great leader. Like one, it's um, having like a really clear vision and, and like purpose, which aligns with what you're trying to do with the business. And secondly, is like getting everyone else on that journey with the, like you can never expect them to have the same level of passion necessarily or like work ethic that you do, but you want to make sure that they they understand why we're doing this, what are we aiming towards and getting them mm. on that journey. That's That, that mm. for me is like the key role of, of the founder or CEO. Um, you to talk a bit about kind of you know building a business and you touched on this kind of briefly there but I normally ask people about like how you attract great talent um so I'm going to flip it and actually talk a bit more about retention because I feel like we're in a market at the moment where there's a lot of candidate movement there's a lot of employees leaving for for jobs um so it's really important that companies are doing whatever they can to retain their their top performers I just wondered like from your perspective um what are the things to get right when it comes to keeping keeping your people um they have to feel people have to feel like they're important they have to feel like they're valued and um, 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 value you can take as read the, the the pay rates and all of that kind of stuff for yep. me that's not what values people um so we're we're good at attracting decent people we're getting much better at it we're trying to put the building blocks in place to make the company you know, to tick all of those boxes that people would normally expect a, 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 a you know, a good, a good employer to have, but it's making people um, feel like they've got a, a, a strong enough voice in a company that, that people value their opinions, that they get listened to, you know, flat structure, don't have, don't build hierarchy, drop in and drop out and all of that kind of stuff is, is, is hugely important. And so, and it's, and it's little things like we've, one of the things we've just done is we've, we, we now give everybody their birthday off, um, because actually that's your day, isn't it? Right. So, you know, so it's just a nice little add on really, um, giving people the opportunity to get trained and developed in certain new skills, listening to what comes out and what, what gets fed back from their appraisals and making sure that people, so having a structure around it, but making sure that people have that, that kind of opportunity and and we're we're big i talk about a, a lot about people not getting involved in somebody else's soup not putting their fingers in somebody else's soup you know putting a framework around people's working environment and saying to them right you're responsible for that that's your framework crack on feel empowered get on and do it don't feel that you've got to come back and make it you know and 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 that's the beauty of small organizations as well i think People feel like they have got that empowerment. They can go off and do things. You can make mistakes and you're not going to get burned for it. What you're going to do is you're going to learn from it and you're going to move on. 
and and providing you just you do that and you 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 make those mistakes and you learn from it i think that's one of the great things that makes makes companies retain people oh yeah i agree with with all of that and i, th- I think the one point i want to go back to and just highlight a bit is is the the one you said about like being listened to and like feeling valued because i think especially with the the you know sector i work in like tech for good companies a lot of time people are joining because they think it's a great company to work for and everything else but a lot of time it's as a connection with the mission like they care about what that company is yeah. trying to achieve so then to join that business and feel like they're not heard and that passion's like being wasted or not listened to that's a that's almost more detrimental in some ways if you're joining like a purpose-led business so that's that's absolutely something that's key to get right I think you're absolutely right because um, you are correct. People join because of the mission as 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 much of uh, of you know what the job is, um, particularly in this space. You know, in the in the environmental stroke green space, more and more people, I think, particularly you know younger than me, but but more and more people are engaging with a, with jobs that that have real purpose and real. Um, and, and align with their views on the world. And I think if you if you look at an, the headline of a company and it and, and it aligns with your views on the world, and then you get in there and find out actually that's all nonsense. It's just spin. Then you're going to get pretty disillusioned pretty quickly, and and you know you'll you'll go. And that's just bad use of everybody's time. Um, and I I you know again it's a it's another standard thing, but you're a long time at work. So make sure you enjoy it and have fun. You know, it's got to be fun. And if it's not fun, go and do something else that is fun because you are there for such a long time, you know. Um, And I've always said that. The minute it stops being fun, go and do something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think we'll we'll probably close it off there. So, so Jim, it's been a real pleasure having the show. Um, for anyone listening that wants to follow the Advertech journey, like where's best to follow the company on socials? Uh, so we're uh, we're we're big on LinkedIn. We're big on Twitter. Um, we've got a website which is www.advertech.com, and um, you know there's there's all sorts of um, information that you can get about the company. There's loads of little videos and um, there. We post an awful lot of stuff as well. Uh, we're on Facebook, so you, you can follow us on all the social media sites. Um, and, and if anybody does, you know, want to get in touch with us, the, the best way is, is just to make a connection through the web. Yeah. And I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Um, cool. Well, Jim, look, I've learned loads today. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show and, um, yeah, looking forward to following the Advertech journey myself. All right. Thanks very much for your time. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about the show. The more people we can get involved, the more hope we have for making the world a better place. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril Al-Sahami and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.